Good morning, Mimosas, and thank you for selecting the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. It is meant to be your weekly spark of joy. It consists of one part bubbles, a dash of refreshing conversation, and of course, add a little bit of spice. It's a weekly inspiration every Wednesday morning. The podcast will explore different topics on growth, development, connections, and stories that will hopefully inspire you. Feel free, grab your cup of coffee or a mimosa and join us on Wednesdays. Thanks for joining us now to the podcast episode. Good morning and welcome to the Good Morning Mimosas podcast. I am your host, Cheryl Bear. Excited to continue with the stress series with our second episode with Genoa. I'm not going to dive into her whole background and bio because she's a friend of the podcast from season one. And if you'd like to hear all about her bio, feel free to check out her previous episode with the literacy and resiliency series from season one. Today's episode is about family systems. We're going to be diving into that and kind of talking about how it relates to stress, both good and bad. First, let's jump into this week's inspirational quote by Virginia Satir. It is, life is not what it's supposed to be. It's what is. The way you cope with it is what makes the difference. So let's go ahead and jump in with Miss Genoa this morning. Good morning, Genoa. Good morning, Cheryl. If you don't mind sharing with us, you know, we're talking about family systems today, but let's start at the top with what is the definition of a system? Well, the Webster's Dictionary would define the definition of a system as a set of things working together as parts of a mechanism or interconnecting network. And that's pretty much the basics to where family systems perspective is built upon. Systems thinkers, as LMFTs, tend to believe that in order to fully understand a phenomenon, we have to break it up into its general components. This means in your family, that would be considered your family system, we would view relationship communications, patterns, and environments as very impactful for the whole family system and it widens the lens from the individual to the whole family. So you said LMFTs. Would you mind, uh, what is that? What does that mean? Because I'm sitting here, I'm curious. An LMFT is a licensed marriage family therapist. I did not know that, but now we all know that acronym. Look at us learning stuff new today. Genoa, talking about the family systems, would you mind giving some examples of What is considered a family system? And I'm doing quotes, no one can see it, but but us. But um, explain that to us a little. Well, a family system could look like you and your husband, and that's it. It could look like you and your grandma and your husband and your kids, whoever you are close to, generally that you live with inside your house, like your environment every day, which would be considered like your nuclear family. But if you are just adopted and you don't really know anybody or you're an orphan, you grow up and you have a best friend and you're living together and that's your support system, that can be considered your family system as well. It does not have to be blood. I think that's a a good point to make. And 
you mentioned about it could be considered a grandparent or a parent. I think for some mimosas out there that may be caregivers for their parents or hopefully their grandparents, if they're lucky enough to still have their grandparents around, you know, a lot of times when people think about your nuclear family, it's always, you know, your husband or your wife. And, you know, if you have kids, your kids, but honestly, if you're if you have a parent that lives with you or whether you live with your parent or grandparent, or you're kind of more of a caregiving capacity, they're really part of that, that system as well. going to go ahead and shift. Uh, would you mind talking to our mimosas about Bowen and explaining, you know, who that person is and kind of the impact they have on systems? Bowen is probably one of the most popular and most well-known family therapy theorists. He believes that the family unit is a multi-generational emotional system. And so in short, one part affects the other. And when the system is in good balance, it functions smoothly. And the opposite is true. When the system is unbalanced, Stress can develop among members and anxiety and all different things because one thing has like the trickle down effect into everyone. You hear that really strange example. People say like, don't go home and kick your dog, right? Because how like something just trickles to the next person and the next person. And that's how it is in family systems as well. Hey, mimosas. Want a physical spark of joy or know a mimosa would love to have some mimosa swag? Check out the Mimosa Market at thebravebear.com slash mimosa market. We have partnered with American manufacturing companies to bring our in-house designs to life. Each purchase from the Mimosa Market is helping us grow the Good Morning Mimosa podcast so we can keep sharing sparks of joy. Thank you for shopping at the Mimosa Market. Cheers, mimosas. Bowen believes that there are three subsystems within each family unit. These systems are the emotional, intellectual, and feeling system. Genoa, could you lead us off with the emotional system? So the emotional system is rapid and reflective, how you would react instantly, and it's not connected to cognitive awareness. So a great example that I could think that we can use for all three of these examples could be like a parent, their child's coming home past curfew, and the emotional system isn't thinking intelligently and automatically is mad and emotional and angry and isn't tapping into the other systems. The intellectual system expresses the capacity to think, reason, and reflect. So as a parent, you may think through what would be a meaningful consequence. The feeling system is interconnected with emotional and the intellectual systems. This means the intellectual and emotional are influencing one another. And though emotions may be high, the individual will be able to tap into reason. In this scenario, the parent may hear the child out on why, why they are coming home past curfew before delivering said consequence. So in talking through these three subset systems, you know, the, the emotional one is kind of that that knee-jerk reaction, it feels like, and something where your reaction is going to be whatever it naturally is going to be without maybe a filter. And then the intellectual system tends to be the more cool, calm, and collected side is how I'm at least interpreting it. And hey, what could actually be going on besides just the surface 
what I am assuming is going on. And then the feeling system is one that kind of goes and touches both of those, but it's kind of helping you find that balance between your initial emotional reaction of like, this kid knew their timeline and when they were supposed to be home and they, you know, they aren't home yet and they know it. And the intellectual side kind of taking a step back and saying, okay, instead of me just acting out on maybe my, my feelings and that emotional side, you know, how can I maybe process something that could take and make a more meaningful response when they do get home. So having these subsets, these subsystems, um, within each family unit, I imagine that can cause both good stress and bad stress. And I know we talked about this on the individual level in episode one, but if you don't mind talking about good stress on systems and then bad stress on systems. So there's no getting away from stress, especially when you're looking through a systems lens. However, there are different stages that we would go through as families that tend to cause more stress than others. I wouldn't necessarily define it as good or bad stress, but some things such as like the launching stage is an inevitable part, inevitable part of life. So when you have that child ready to leave the nest and go out and forge their own way, it could be good stress or bad stress, depending on your family system. Another example is just having children. In general, that could be viewed as both good or bad stress, depending on the perspective and circumstances. One of the biggest stresses on the family system as a whole would be considered communication. With couples specifically, communication can throw the whole system right out of whack. And then I always say to be mindful of cybernetics. We need to dive into cybernetics here in a minute, but before we get to that, you know, talking about, you know, children and good, good can be good stress or bad stress. And also even just communication in marriages. I think, uh, one of the biggest things in communication, it's also clarity. And I think it, you know, kind of people don't, they can't read minds. You know, I, sometimes I think it'd be a good thing if we could other times, I think it'd be terrifying and absolutely horrible. I think, you know, your, your mindset and your communication within that system, you know, whether it's how you communicate with your partner, with your children, um, with your spouse, with your, you know, parent or grandparent, if they're in there, um, and how clear you are in communicating with them can really be a factor on whether a situation can be slanted as good stress or bad stress. Now you mentioned cybernetics. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? So I'm going to talk about cybernetics as it relates to all the listeners, because I'm pretty sure no one wants to hear about the therapist's point of view, because that doesn't relate to anyone. But through a systems lens, we would describe cybernetics as first order and second order change. This relates to stress on the family system, as a lot of times families do reach out with their problems, but it's after the first order change hasn't worked. As one of my most favorite family theorists says, do less of what's not working and more of what is. Steve DeShazer. And you talked about first order change and second order change. Would you mind explaining, you know, for our mimosas out there when you say that, you know, what that, what that means? What that would look like in terms of family systems could be a couple that's trying to teach their child to sleep in their own bed. 
So first order change might be before they even reach out or try to figure it out, they're like, okay, we're just going to let them sleep with us, or we're going to try to read books and lay with the child before they fall asleep. But the child still keeps getting up every night in the middle of the night and coming back into their room. So they might ask friends what they did or Google, and that would be considered first order change because nothing in the system is really changing. Bottom line, the child is still sleeping in their bed. And if they're not comfortable with the co-sleeping situation, not to mention the stress on the family system at that point, if there's one partner that's like, this is my space, this is my quiet time, like they need to sleep in their bed and the other parent might feel differently. And that's part of that bad stress (laughs) that we were talking about. Um, Second order change would come when there's an actual shift in the system. For an example, every time the child gets out of bed, the parents put the child back in their bed and shut the door. Even if they do it four nights over and over and over again, consistently to show like, this is where you're sleeping. This is what we're doing. Like, you're not going to come in, you're not, you know, and keep the same routine. And that's where things start to change. And that's why it's considered second order because it sticks. Hey, Mimosas, consider supporting the podcast by becoming a Mimosa member through our Patreon at patreon.com slash Mimosas. Every Mimosa member will get ad-free episodes. So you no longer have to hear ads like this. In addition, depending on the level that works best for you, you can get 10% off of all Mimosa merch in the Mimosa market all day, every day. Bonus content, sneak peeks at upcoming episodes and events coming down the pipeline, episode resources, and so much more. Thank you for considering supporting the podcast through a Mimosa membership. Cheers. That is a really good example. And I'm sure many mimosas that maybe have little ones may be going through that exact scenario right now. I'm going to go ahead and segue and pick your brain if it's okay for some tips on successful systems, you know, tips on maybe how to make them successful, how to maybe maintain them or keep them going in a successful way. What do you have for us? Well, for couples specifically to keep the four horsemen out of your relationship, I think Brittany has touched on this before on the podcast about Gottman and the Gottman approach, but the four horsemen would be defensiveness, stonewalling, contempt, and criticism. Ooh, we're going to need to dive into that a little bit more. So I think Brittany may have touched on it a little bit. I think maybe even in season one in the transition series a little bit, but for our mimosas that are just listening in for this one, do you mind talking a little bit more about those four horsemen and, you know, maybe some examples that you've seen, you know, defensiveness, stonewalling, contempt, or criticism play out, and then maybe a few ways to combat it. So I think it's actually more popular than you would realize because not all four horsemen show up in relationships and that would be super unhealthy if it did. So let's hope that's not the case for anyone. However, if there's criticism, which I feel like would be the most popular one in a relationship, one person or partner or anyone in the relationship is constantly picking apart the other individual, which clearly is making for an unhealthy communication pattern between the couple. And so that plays out like that defensiveness is when another person is completely on high alert all the time. And they're defensive, probably over things that 
wouldn't necessitate being defensive over how they parked their car, how they made the bed, what they put in their coffee, things like that. So it makes it really hard for the couples to connect when these things are blocking their patterns. Contempt would consider something happens. Maybe there's infidelity in a relationship. Maybe some somebody parented a way that they felt was like morally wrong, something along those lines. And they hold contempt for their partner. I mean, it's probably the worst horseman, at least that's what I read, because that one isn't as easy to have things turn around. And it takes a lot of work because when you have contempt for someone, rebuilding trust, reestablishing boundaries, anything is a harder journey. It's not impossible, but it's harder. Um, And then stonewalling, where you just give your partner the silent treatment. Unfortunately, a lot of couples think like, if I'm not communicating, I'm not communicating. If I'm not talking, I'm not communicating. But surprise, any type of communication can be done (laughs) non-verbally. Communication can be done non-verbally, verbally. And so you're still communicating your message. It's just quietly. And sometimes it takes a little bit more effort on the individual who is stonewalling to stop in order to start that communication pattern again. Because a lot of times there's, it's colored by fear and lack of wanting to open up and vulnerability. So kind of picking at each one of these four on kind of maybe some things to think about or consider to help overcome them, I guess we'll go ahead and touch on defensiveness first. What are some good tips or food for thought to kind of help combat if you are the person being defensive, or maybe you know someone who is. The best approach through the Gottman approach for all four of these is really to turn towards each other's bids. And when I read that, it made sense, but I didn't feel like it would really make sense in all of those situations. But there was a whole section about a couple that says, what do you want to watch? What do you want to watch on TV? And they're like, I don't care. Just pick it, like whatever you want. And even that right there is turning toward looking for a low level bid. You want to connect with your partner in some way. And so defensiveness, if you're not turning towards each other's bids for affection, you're going to be defensive because you're already going to assume how the other person is feeling, or you're already putting up your own walls to stop that. And a great tool that they had talked about is doing statements where you say, I like what you need and how you feel and what you need from the other partner. So it's not, you are making me so mad because you're hogging the remote. And it would more be like, I would really like it if I had a chance to change the channel because this is why, or things like that, which I mean, honestly, that's like a super low level communication problem. But I mean, it really translates into a lot of things. There's examples about individuals that have maybe an elderly mom coming to live with them. And it might shake up the family system and maybe one partner is more for it than the other. And maybe that mom criticizes, you know, the other partner. So it's really important to be able to have I statements with really what you feel and what you need from the other partner. So there is no guessing and there is no mind reading. I think that's such a great statement to make there because, you know, making those statements and kind of being clear in your communication about, you know, what you are thinking or how you're feeling is important because something that I feel is very important in family systems are boundaries. Would you mind giving us some tips on boundaries and kind of how that works?
So going back to Bowen for a second, he talked a lot about differentiation and differentiation of self. And a great way to make sure that you have healthy boundaries is to make sure your relationships aren't meshed. And what that means is when you and your spouse or partner are together, you're not the same person. You don't think alike. And it couldn't just be spouses. It could be moms, grandmas, whoever that you feel close with. But when it comes to the point that someone's speaking for you, or you're just blindly agreeing with someone to keep the peace, then you're not your best self. And you want to make sure you have those boundaries where you can step away. You completely say like, no, thank you. And not be sucked into cycles that may not be the healthiest for you. And in terms of making boundaries within your family systems at home, besides keeping differentiation, you want to make sure that if you have children, your hierarchy is super strong, which means parenting, try to be on the same page as much as possible. And I know that sounds like common sense, but really if one partner is out of the house a lot of the time, and you parent one way, or you discipline another way, and they can play back and forth. Or if you're a couple that's separated, and you have different rules at your house, then you know, your partner has at their house, and the kids go back and forth. Having that strong, like togetherness is really important for the kids to see their boundaries as in, this is mom and dad, this is where I fall, I don't have to hold adult responsibilities, I don't have to be in the middle of their relationship. I know I can't play them against each other and things like that. But it also extends, like you think the holidays are coming up. A lot of people are traveling back home or even people are coming to them and it's a very high stress time and boundaries can get blurred. So it's really important to make sure that you stick and state to your boundaries and they don't have to be excessive, but having them can keep everyone's mental health where it should be. Are you a business that is trying to find a new way to grow your brand? Consider sponsoring this podcast. Sponsorship range from social media logo posts to ads during the episodes. Sponsorships are a great way to get your message out to new audience while supporting the Mimosa community. Check out the options at thebravebear.com slash sponsorship for more details. Cheers, Mimosas. I think that's such a good point to make about keeping those boundaries and within the hierarchy. Cause even, you know, kind of going back to the example you said before, if you're say you're a a married couple and you have kids and then your mom, for whatever reason, moves in with you, you know, not that your mom is a child, obviously your mom's an adult and probably has lots of life experience and probably maybe some opinions or thoughts to go along with it. It's important to be on that same page, you know, and, and still keep that hierarchy, even though yes, they are older and may or may not be wiser, depending on the the family situation you have going on, but you still have to be on the same page within your marriage and parents can sometimes do the, the wedge game. Like, Oh, I'll go talk to, you know, I'll talk to him because he's, a little bit like easier to push over and blur lines. Uh, But do you have any tips for kind of maintaining that hierarchy and boundaries when it comes to, you know, kind of parents or someone of maybe an older generation that's, you know, moving in and shaking up the family dynamic? The first thing that came to mind when we were talking about that was triangulation. Going back to Bowen again, he's my very favorite theorist today. (laughs) 
you want to be careful with triangulation because it happens a lot. They say the triangle is the strongest shape. However, for example, if you had your mom or his mom or someone's mom come in and they're siding with me all the time and I'm triangulating my husband out or the other way around, that's how hierarchies have problems. That's how cracks and foundations come because there's, or even if it's just me and my husband and my child and me and my child are always like making plans. And then my husband is nothing to do with it. Like it goes all around and there can be different triangles within the system. So just think of like a family dinner and it could be like you and your husband and the two of you might triangulate, you know, your mom or something. And then within that same table in the same situation, you and your sister could have a dynamic with your dad, maybe that triangulates one of you out. And so there's so many that can happen within a family system. And so in order to keep like boundaries and to keep like a healthy balance, it's important to recognize where those cracks could lie. And it's important to keep communication open in a big way where um, one of the big ways that they talk about like bigger families or like families, nuclear families in your home or building rituals where you all sit down and eat together, or you all take a walk together, or you all read the same book, or there's something that every day there's like a consistency to like, this is your family ritual. And it seems to work. I think that's a good point of having those, you know, creating those rituals and boundaries and then not compromising them regardless of, you know, if there's a new person in the dynamic, say there's a mom and a dad and they have, you know, three children. And then the grandma, the mom, whoever comes to move in and lives with them. If the mom and the dad and the kids had a family ritual of, Hey, we're all going to sit down and eat dinner, you know, or we all go on family walks in the afternoon or whatever it is. I think it's such an important thing to have those discussions and prioritize, Hey, this is a thing for us. We don't compromise on it. So then even though like the mom where grandma is coming into the picture, you know, you can clearly state, Hey, this is what we do. And you're more than welcome to join us, or you can do some, you know, have your own free time or whatever it is, but you know, not, not compromising or, or blurring those lines and, um, behaviors like to turn it over to you for, I know you have one more tip for us on, um, you know, kind of maintaining successful systems. So what's the last uh, tip you have for us? To leave your work at the door. You don't need to bring it into your family. I mean, it's one thing to talk about how was your day, but if you had a really terrible day or you're really upset about how something came out at work or an interaction that you had, it's probably best not to bring that in because once you come into your, once you cross that threshold and you're in there with your family, like you're the mom, you're the dad, you're the sister, you're the brother, you know, you have your family system role. And if you had a bad day and you bring that in, you're now giving it to every single person in your family system. It's not just, I had a, I had a bad day. It's, you know, I had a bad day and now you are too. I feel like we've all um, seen or felt that at some point in our lives, I was uh, on I'm sure Facebook or something, uh, the other week. And there was this story I read about this guy who has this big tree in his front yard and a friend came home with him after work. And, you know, he went and he touched the leaf before he walked in the door. And, you know, when his friend was leaving, he asked them about, you know, why do you always touch the tree, you know, and touch the leaf before he said, Oh, I, I always 
that's where I hang up my work problems. And the guy would always, you know, walk and, you know, touch his little leaf. And he's like, I leave all my stress at the door because then it's my family time. And if I need to, when I go to work the next day, then I can touch my leaf and pick that stress back up and, and get started resolving it. But, um, he always made a point. And I think that resonated with me because sometimes having a physical, something to do or a part of your own personal ritual to help remind you, Hey, I need to stop and almost, you know, check myself when, when Ryan was first in the Marine Corps, um, we, we didn't have an argument, but it was our first, I would say tense, not first tense moment, but it was, it was a little bit of a tense when he came home and, you know, was, uh, still in Marine Corps mode still, you know, and, and Marines at work are very different than Marines at home. And, you know, our, we like to make our home as much of an oasis as we can. We want it to be our, our place of, uh, our little sanctuary for ourselves. So when he came home one day and I can't remember what it was, it wasn't even a big deal at all, but it was something like, Oh, we're going to do this, you know? And, and he was like, no, we're doing this. But his tone and the way he said it was, whoo, can you have me like Marine? I just remember looking at him and I like, whoo, we had some fireworks in our household. <laughs> Cause that does, that does not fly. And, you know, I quickly, uh, on the spot addressed the issue and Ryan, you know, said, yes, ma'am. And then went and changed his clothes. And it sounds funny, but that one act of like, literally like going into your, your office, taking off your uniform and putting your civilian clothes on that simple thing can change your, your tone and your attitude and your mindset. I know for Ryan, you know, when he's in his uniform, it's, you know, it's business, it's Marine Corps. And when he gets home and, you know, there's even times when he's in the field, I mean, not just because any, anyone who is military, any military mimosas here know that they smell awful when they come out of the field. But even, you know, when he hasn't been in the field, there's been times where I'm like, Hey, have your change of clothes and change them in the garage before you even come in the house, because you need to have, you need to have that, that physical, Hey, I need to leave work behind me, you know? And, you know, when you come in the house, you need to be present in your house and in your, in your home and in your family. So I think that's a great tip. And, uh, Jenna, I'll go ahead and turn it over. I know you have, uh, some resources for families that you'd like to share, which I think every mimosa could benefit from on positivepsychology.com, There are 49 communication activities. Honestly, if you get onto Pinterest or Google, there's a lot of different couple and family activities, but this one had a plethora of resources. So I felt like this was the best to share. Um, just for communication activities for adults, there are different ones with card pieces where you can listen to the other person, give direction and you draw it. There's origami activities. And then for the full family, as you continue down, there's listening activities, body language activities. Like we talked about nonverbal communication can be very powerful and how to try to work on that. <laughs> and so I really love this. There's a clap and follow game and the whole family can play that. And while it's fun, it really is reinforcing the communication and the openness between your family members. 
And Mimosas, if you are a Mimosa member um, and subscribe to us on Patreon, we will have this resource listed on there for you. Genoa, I just want to thank you for being with me this morning. And I'm going to circle back to your awesome quote of the day by Virginia Satir. And it's life is not what, what it's supposed to be. It's what it is. The way you cope with it is what makes the difference. Well, again, uh, Mimosas, if you don't already, please feel free. Follow us on Instagram uh, or Facebook. Our website is thebravebear.com slash GMM. You can always shoot us an email at goodmorningmimosas.podcast at gmail.com. You never know what a like or share will do. So please feel free to share this with your friends, family, or anyone else who can use a spark of joy on Wednesday morning. And if you'd love to take a little bit of the uh, mimosa spark with you, feel free to look at our mimosa market, which is live with some wonderful items that you can physically take with you when you can't quite have a mimosa in the morning like you may want to.